because you didn't do what he said? You know what? You know what? You just made the list! I'm gonna have to go tell the world exactly what's on the list of Jericho. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this is episode one of the Middle East Outlaws podcast. My name is Ross Trotter, aka The Road Pod, Jesse James. That's never work. And uh, I'm here with my co host, Adam Anderson, aka Big Pod Pod. pod. <laughs> How's it going, Adam? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Good. So, our, um, our vision for this podcast is basically to give us an hour, an hour and a half every now and again to get together and, and talk about wrestling, um, something that we probably can't get away with doing in our everyday lives. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think it's um, it's not really cool anymore, is it? Not when you get to this kind of age. But yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah so 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 our idea is let's 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 take our subject for each episode, and, uh, and we'll each do a list of our, our top five of whatever that, that subject might be, come together and chat about it, and uh, have a little debate. Um, our very first episode, and our very first topic, um, is going to be top five heel turns, which was um, which probably sounds like an easy one to start off with, but when you start looking into things, it was actually quite difficult. I don't know. Do you feel the same? Yeah, I think, I, I thought at first, uh, you know, there's a few obvious ones that stand out. And then when you start really thinking about it, I, you know, I think I, I got in touch with you last week just saying, oh, no, I've changed one. I'm, <laughs> I, had, I had a sudden late panic. And then uh, vice versa um, as well. So, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of uh, good options out there when you're talking about something like that. Um, and actually rounding it down became quite difficult. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I know I messaged you earlier. I have changed mine. I've changed one of mine. I've just finished watching one of the matches about two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, like you say, I might actually change as we're halfway through a list. Let's see. <laughs> um, before we get into our picks, should we just talk about what makes a good heel turn? Yep. And potentially what what doesn't make a good heel turn what makes a good heel turn to you um i think you know you, there has to be an element of surprise in a sense that um not not to say you didn't see it coming and and maybe you know there's a there's a slow build and that that's what i prefer um when you're talking about a heel turn is just there to have been quite a few hints along the way and then suddenly you know it happens um, but I think as well, the, the, the people involved, they have to have had a, a bond for, you know, uh, a, a good amount of time or for a good reason. Um, and then suddenly for, for that to kind of be shattered. But I, I mean, I've moaned to you probably quite a few times in, in recent times about the fact that, you know, everything feels like it's uh, a story and uh, a different story every week. 
nowadays. Whereas yeah. what what for me kind of always worked is when when things were laid out over the course of a few months and you just saw things gradually unravel. That that always worked for me. Yeah, that kind of slow build. That that's yeah the kind of ideal scenario when it comes to a heel turning. Yeah, and I think as well, yeah, you have to be kind of getting something out of it in terms of um, maybe you don't have enough uh, baby faces or heels, depending on, on you know, um, what, what your card looks like at the top, middle or bottom, and maybe you need someone to turn. Um, and mm. I think I think that, that plays a part as well um, in, in looking for a, a good turn. So an example, a really good heel turn recently would have been Tucker turning on all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose time will tell how much they actually get out of that mileage-wise. But my, my favourite thing about that is that, like, obviously they're a tag team and, and all that sort of stuff, and he's randomly turned on him, hit him with the, the, the briefcase, uh, whatever the most recent pay-per-view was. And then the next night on Raw, he was wearing proper jobber trousers, and he didn't even... It didn't even get an entrance. Uh, it didn't have music or anything. He was just standing in the ring to fight against Ricochet. Yeah, I, th- uh, I, th- I think that, that's kind of the other thing that you sometimes see in it because so often when when there's the turn, it's from like one team member to another, and you end up kind of losing one in the shuffle as well. You know, mm, one, ah, one guy ah. will be pushed to the top and the other guy just kind of disappears. Yeah, I can, I can definitely on my list here. I can <laughs> think of a perfect example. I'm, I'm guessing you might have. That, that similar example on um, you? Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, cool, okay. Um, on, honourable mentions. It's probably dangerous to talk about honourable mentions before we before we do the list, isn't it? Yeah, I was thinking that, because um, I did note down a few, and then I thought, I'm going to mention this, and then it's going to be on Ross's list. So, um, yeah, I don't know if it, if it's worth bringing up just now or maybe uh, leave until later. Let's leave them till the end, and that sounds like a plan. Yeah. Okay. I promised you a rant on on the <laughs> Roman Reigns heel turn, um, but I'll maybe I'll maybe leave that till the um, till the end as well. There it is. I think. Uh, yeah. Let's just leave it. So <laughs> I can feel the fire burning. <laughs> uh, okay. What do you think? Do I kick us off? Number five. Yep. I'm I'm happy to get us started. Um, cool. Let's do it. So I'm going to mention a few times as I go through it, things that, you know, seemed big, maybe because of the kind of age I was at the time. Yeah, I've, I've totally been feeling that when I've been yeah. doing the list. Yeah. So um, I, I started, you know, having an interest in, in wrestling and all that when I was probably about eight, nine years old, something like that. And it was buying old videos you know, um, they weren't of the current events and things like that. They were basically whatever the show was. Yeah. So one of the first that I remember seeing and buying was WrestleMania 5, which featured top of the card, the um, the Hogan v. Savage feud. Um, yeah. So what I've gone for as my number five is when the Mega Powers exploded. So um, just for a, a little bit of uh, background, um, Hogan, obviously the, the ultimate star of the company, um, Savage joins... Uh, mid 80s and through 87 he, he makes a, a turn to, uh, from heel to babyface um he'd entered as a heel really uh, playing off the sort of staged probably mostly animosity between him and elizabeth although 
some of that might have been reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously they, they, they take advantage of the fact that I think they've got by then DiBiase and uh, uh, Andre as the, the top line heels and they felt they needed to align somebody with Hogan. So uh, they, they kind of start the build by directly involving Elizabeth and then there's a there's a Saturday night main event in uh, uh, October 87 when Hogan comes out and makes the save on Savage um, while he's being uh, beaten down by the, the hearts and the honky-tonk man. And it's as a direct result of Elizabeth going back and bringing Hogan out. So she is kind of the catalyst between this union between the two of them. So from then on, they're kind of, you know, they've got each other's backs and, and Savage returns the favour, bails out Hogan. Um, and then there's this whole infamous, which could be talked about at a later date, uh, title debacle where Andre takes the belt off Hogan, uh, dubious circumstances, and then sells it to DiBiase. So it's now uh, basically the, the title's been held up and it'll be decided in a match at Mania 4. So even before Mania 4, you're talking more than a one-year build to that Mania 5 match. You've sort of embedded yeah. why they would be a union together. Um, and then Savage goes on to win the title tournament at WrestleMania 4 with help from Hogan, who's in his corner, uh, kind of evening up the numbers. And through sort of the course of the year from then on, everything's, you know, all good, all happy and merry. Um, they have SummerSlam and Survivor Series matches uh, teaming up together. So I think the first ever SummerSlam, 88, uh, Savage and Hogan uh, against Andre and DiBiase. And that's the one where uh, Elizabeth, you know, hops up onto the, the ringside and whips off her little skirt to distract everyone. Um, and then they, you just start to see some little hints that Savage is starting to get a bit jealous and a bit anxious with the Hogan and Liz relationship. Um, he'll celebrate more with her after a win. And, you know, there's yeah. just little subtle looks and things like that. Um, and, you know, based on a lot of stuff we've heard, some of that might have been genuine, to be honest. I think he was quite dominant and controlling in the situation. Yeah. Um, and I do think that's another part we'll probably talk about where, where you can build in some, you know, real life scenarios to, to the story. I think it always helps. So the, the... Yeah, that's what, that's what I was just going to kind of jump on, is that, that WWE, for all their faults, and WWF at that time, they're so good. It kind of just kind of layering in kayfabe mixed with a little bit of real life in there, and it, especially in the really good stories, um, and they, they they can take it too far. I think we've probably seen the McMahon's on TV about hundred million times too many, but yeah. they are really good at that. And 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 that example is just perfection, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the, and you can. It's one of those where I think you know who your good guy is, even from the early, you know, glances and things like that. You're supposed to back Hogan because he's the the ultimate babyface, um, and Savage had already been the heel in the company, so I think you know that that's underlying in there. And mm. um, so while they're they're teasing it, the two of them are still teaming together, you know, winning matches and things like that. And then there's a there's an an incident where Hogan. Is, is being beaten down by the Twin Towers. Uh, so, Bossman and uh, Akeem. And Savage comes out. Akeem, the African dream. Akeem, the African dream, yeah. They wouldn't get away with that nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yes, so Savage comes out and makes a save with a chair. Um, Liz just leaves immediately to go backstage with Hogan. Again, Savage is kind of stood in the ring, looking around, thinking, you know, where's everyone gone? I'm stood here on my own. Mm. And he 
they're they're sort of turning it where he's the third wheel rather than you know you would assume it would be Hogan uh, naturally, mm. and then uh, the uh, January eighty nine Royal Rumble, um, you have a situation where Hogan accidentally eliminates Savage from the Rumble match. So in the process of eliminating other people, Savage is caught up in the melee. He goes over the rope. There's a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of animosity, um, and then it it kind of dies down from then on you know it's that it isn't the same sort of tv world that we're in now where there's you know the two big shows per week every week um so yeah. you, you can do things a little bit slower and also even then when they had things like saturday night's main event not everyone's on every show you know um yeah. so the, the next big moment that comes really is in the main event too um where it's Hogan and savage via the twin towers Savage is thrown from uh, thrown over the top rope, and accidentally hit, hits Liz on his landing. Um, Hogan takes Liz backstage. You know, honourable thing, trying to get the woman out of harm's way, but Savage sees it as he's being abandoned, two on one, to take the beating from the the twin towers. Um, and this is really where it all kicks off. And this is one of the big things that caught me as a kid because all I'm doing is I'm watching the Mania Five video. And it shows you little snippets of the build-up. And there, yeah. there's this backstage fight between Savage and Hogan. And at this point, you know, I'm only on about my second or third VHS. And I've never seen a backstage fight, you know. And it just looked and felt real. And he's he's going for him. The, the, the uh, jealousy feelings boiled over. He's accusing Hogan of, you know, trying to muscle in on his wife. Things like that. And, and they just end up in a full-on fight backstage which just as a kid looked and felt different to anything I'd ever seen before um, so yeah that that was kind of the tipping point and that was really the okay there's probably no way back for these two as a team now um, and then from there it really starts the build to the Mania 5 because Havage is still champion and Hogan's the challenger now for the belt and they get embroiled in this situation where there's Liz who's refusing to take either side. So she's kind of in the middle. Mm. Um, and I think they're probably, as a company, wanting to keep her baby face regardless, you know, but they don't. It's a tough one because she can't, she has to be kind of honourable to both if she's going to play that role. Um, she can't, she can't yeah. backstab anyone. She can't turn on the company's biggest baby face, but also she can't turn on her husband, really, if she wants to to remain in that kind of role. So she's neutral all the way through. And then, uh, so April 89, Mania 5 title match. Um, there's not, I may mention this a few times through it, there's not that many Hogan matches that I like from a uh, wrestling <laughs> point of view. Uh, but Savage is such a, you know, general in there. He gets a really good match, uh, really high quality and Liz is prominent all through it, but not directly involved in it. She's kind of in a neutral corner, eventually gets sent backstage. Um, Hogan does his hulking up after the um, uh, after the elbow drops. And then, you know, big boot, leg drop, wins the belt. Liz doesn't join in with those celebrations or anything like that. She does remain neutral. She's actually more looking like she's trying to look after Savage at the end of it. And he's pushing her away and things like that. So that was really kind of how that one all came about. That That, that is amazing. Like, I think I did consider it, but I think, you know, have convinced me 
from going through that and the slow build and the character development that I, that is now my number it's not my number one but that it's like a it's like the blueprint for a slow build but like I think in the era that it was in you can perfectly get away with that type of slow yeah. build yeah because like you say you don't have two what what do they have two three hour shows a, a three hour and a two hour yeah. show every week albeit different brands but then you've sometimes have two pay-per-views in a month you have guys feuding over social media you just that just would never ever play out the same way these days but for its time it's just absolute classic and the the other for me big thing out of it which is one of the things i was going to touch on earlier when we talk about probably did touch on when we talk about what makes a good heel turn is that you now have a top of the card heel a top of the card baby yeah. face. Andre's getting older; he can't really keep having matches with Hogan, um, and and Savage uh, takes on this whole new persona of uh, Macho King, and take. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. ask. Is that is that when Macho yeah. King it became Macho King? So he'd actually sensational he'd, Before they made uh, King of the Ring a, a pay per view tournament, which they did a few years later. It was more like a big event house show. It wasn't televised, and he had won it. But as a babyface, he wasn't really playing off it, and he was world champion anyway. Um, so as soon as he'd lost the belt and became a heel or a full-blown heel, he really started playing on the uh, Macho King gimmick and aligning himself with Sherry, who had always been a, a heel manager. Um, so you, you kind of, I think it's really easy for a casual audience member to look at the managers and see he's gone from Elizabeth to to Shane. Mm. Uh, so he's a bad guy now, you know that that kind of thing. Oh. And then they they basically played through a, a whole feud feud for the the next six months, including incorporating the um, the the Zeus character from, um, from <laughs> I've, I've forgotten the name of the film. Uh, uh, no That's the one um, who, you know, obviously needed to be aligned with a, a, a wrestler to make it work. But he, it, it was, it was yeah. Savage he was partnered with. Um, and that, that sort of took them all through the summer months and things like that. And, uh, yeah, so you, you got a lot of payoff and a lot of matches out of it, a lot of top-of-the-card matches, which was important, obviously. Hogan maybe, maybe yeah. didn't need it, but he did always need a good heel to be working against. So... Yeah, that that's my that's my number five. But I may have rambled a bit. It is the one I had the most notes about because it it, it went on so long the build. Yeah, it's that long development there. Yeah. Eh? That was amazing. That was amazing. Thank you. And just just um, just on your point there about getting something out of the heel turn, like Savage was just an amazing yeah. heel, proper unhinged crazy man he was just amazing yeah, yeah he was one of he's one of those guys where I, I, I much preferred him as the heel and that's even me as a kid because I just thought uh, it was kind of before cool heels were a thing but I was kind of looking mm. at it and thinking I know this this guy's bad but he's kind of awesome as well <laughs> okay okay so I'm going to take us forward in time I'm going to take us forward to September 2001 yeah. Um, and Monday Night Raw we've got a singles match with uh, Lance Storm and the the current King of the Ring and Intercontinental Champion Edge mm-hmm. um, so Lance I, I, I actually I, I didn't write down how the match finished but the match finishes maybe Edge beats him I think uh, but Lance Storm starts beating him down 
So at this point, I can't remember who was on. Who was on? It's JR and Paul Heyman that's on commentary. And at this point, they must now mention that the man entering the ring to help Edge out is his brother about 500 times. It's so weird. It's his brother. His brother. His Canadian brother. His actual brother. Anyway, Christian comes out and you think, here comes his, his tag team partner, his brother, Kayfabe brother, to help him out. And um, I think he... I think he ends up like kind of shooing Lance Storm off. Um, but then he grabs a chair and smashes on with the chair, turns on his brother, Kayfabe brother, Edge. Um, he grabs the big Stanley Cup style King of the Ring uh, trophy and uh, smashes on with that. And then just to, just to fully top it off, he goes back out, he grabs another chair he places Edge's head on the chair and hits him with the one-man concerto. Captain Charisma is born. It's just, uh, just, it's probably not the greatest heel turn all time, but the the, the people involved um, just totally make it for me. So the next night on, on SmackDown, Christian comes out, starts to show off and kicks off with a, an amazing kind of spiteful spiteful heel uh, promo um, about Edge holding him down and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, and, and in advance of this happening, they'd been sprinkling in the kind of jealousy angle um, after Edge had won King of the Ring. Christian was doing a lot of celebrating with the trophy. Um, I think he'd be doing a lot of celebrating with the Intercontinental belt as well. Um, so you could probably see it coming. Um, it's just devastating, like especially now with what we know about head trauma and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Him sticking that, that chair under his head and slamming the chair over him is just horrible. This is a proper good way to to completely turn and break up that that union. Um, so they they feud for a bit there. They go on. They have a really good match. Um, Unforgiven, two thousand and one. Um, which Christian actually wins, which was quite surprising to me. I don't remember that being the case, but then going back and watching it, uh, Christian won the title from Edge. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if you remember or not, but was that then the opportunity they used to then springboard Edge through the kind of glass I ceiling? Think so yeah, because I, I, I mean, I, it's one of those I have memories of all this happening. I couldn't have thought exactly when it all happened. But because um, Christian was one of my favourites, and uh, like any any time we're going through this list, he'll probably be mentioned by me a few times. But um, I, I, think, <laughs> I don't know. Thinking back about, it, I I would have always assumed Edge won every matchup between them, you know, just because it it felt like he mm. rocketed up to the top, and uh, Christian was always kind of in that European intercontinental tag. You know, he was he was at that level. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's surprising, and I do have memories of it because Edge probably was the one from from that era at that level who did manage to break through um, to to the very mm-hmm. top tier. It's a common theme, with, not so much with the heel turns, but but with these really classic. Uh, I've got another one on this list. Really classic um, technical really enjoyable at like proper wrestling matches mm. is that they tend to be 
around that kind of intercontinental yeah. Yeah. level. Um, like you probably think the same kind of guys as me, like your was that WrestleMania 2000 where you had Jericho, Angle yeah. and Benoit, and they just had that ridiculous wrestling match with suplexing each other mm-hmm. all over the shop. Yeah. And there's, some, there's something about the Intercontinental Championship, especially, I think, when we were a wee bit younger, that just lent itself to just these amazing yeah, matches. Yeah, I think it was always kind of thought of as the, the, the workhorse belt. So, like, the, hmm. the the world champ wouldn't necessarily be making all the towns, you know, he'd only go to the big events, but people would be, you know, blown away by some awesome Intercontinental-level match. Um, as as their main event, mm. and I think that just made sure that everyone was like, you know, happy with with what they were getting, even if they weren't getting a, a Hogan or a Warrior or someone like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, I mean, the guys you mentioned, to be fair, they kind of all did eventually, some a bit briefer than others, you know, break through to that very top tier, um, and an Edge was kind of among them, you know, he was, but he was the only. It's going to be an odd phrase to use, but he was the sort of WWE homegrown one that made it. You know, the, the mm. others yeah. came from either WCW or, you know, in, if you look at somebody like Angle, came from another sport already with a name and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, I, I assume they always knew he was going to be the guy um, and that Christian was going to be the other guy. Um it's 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 a shame for me because I'd always wondered, and it's probably been mentioned in other podcasts, if Christian wasn't aligned with Edge breaking through, could he have gone a bit further on his own? Because you always compare the two, and he can't he can't really win mm-hmm. that comparison. Yeah, it's that classic Hardy Boys as yeah. well. It's that classic thing of like like a, a really mm-hmm. good tag team. There's a, there's one that you probably earmark. Uh, it's going to be the yeah, single star. Yeah, I think I think it's always the case. And again, we're probably going to mention one a little bit later on on a list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, doke. Cool. Well, that was good. We've managed to get through the first picks without um, duplicating. Yep. So, uh, hit me hit me with number hit me with okay. your number four. So, my number four, and this this is totally different actually from the way I looked at the first one. Um, so the first one with the slow build and all that. This all happens really quickly, but for me, just in a really cool, entertaining way. Um, so I, I think we we all know the 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 backstory around you know the Rock. He comes into WWE, third generation, huge push, now quite a well known movie star, um, and he just he, he had something, but they weren't using him right, and they were forcing him down people's throats, and they were rejecting him. It's a lot's like what's happened with, you know, some, some modern day people like uh, Roman Reigns, you know, I think people would yeah. just respect everything about him a lot more if he hadn't been shoved down their throats, but turning them heel was a really good move. So um, with, with The Rock, he floundered around as a baby face and then he got uh, a, a real life injury. So they had to take him off TV for a while. And when they brought him back, they brought him back into the nation. Um, and you know they were a, a heel group um, and I had thought about talking about because he did an awesome promo when he came out and talked about the fact people chanted die Rocky die and things like that and that gave him every reason to become a heel but I didn't pick this moment because I don't know that you would 
count it as a full turn when the crowd, even though he was a baby face, the crowd hated him anyway in the first instance. So <laughs> I went a little bit further down the line because, you know, he, he started with the nation having awesome matches with uh, Triple H around the Intercontinental belt across most of the 1998. Mm-hmm. And there was the whole DX against the nation thing, which, you know, played off really well in elevating both of them as stars and kind of bringing up everyone around them as well. Um and then yeah. there was um, there was a point when the he, he'd become the leader of the nation, so he ousted Farouk, um, and he'd, he'd had that turn performed on him. And then in it was October ninety eight Judgment Day, um, there's a a Rock v Mark Henry match, and you know Mark Henry's up and coming, but he's he's in the nation, so he's considered beneath the Rock, and they basically oust the Rock from the nation. And he's already, you know, been getting big babyface reactions with his catchphrases and things like that. And he's, again, cool heel probably before becoming a face because all of his group turn on him really. But as I say, he's, he had the promos and he was he was getting over anyway. He was he was huge, and he was on the rise. So the Rock's no longer in the nation. He's solo now, which just allows him to sort of elevate a bit further. He's not having to do promos on behalf of a group. And he's he's still behind Austin, but he's probably by this point up to second in terms of fan favourites. Um, mm. We come to Survivor Series 98, November 98, the deadly game. And deadly it was game. one of my favourite events because uh, I, I think I'm certainly, I don't think WWE management like them, but I love a tournament that means something. So they basically, they're, they're having the Survivor Series tournament for the title. And the narrative going in is, you know, Vince McMahon is the heel owner and he doesn't want Austin or Rock winning it. He has kind of your marked mankind as his guy, which seems like an odd fit. You know, look at, looking back, it seems like a really odd fit because, you know, why would you want that guy <laughs> to face your company and things like that? But it... At the time, it was so fully believable that he was so against Austin and Rock winning it because he was anti-fan at the time, is, is the way it came across. Um, mm. And he wanted someone that he had a measure of control over, which he did seem to with Mankind, who you know, went through phases of calling him dad and things like that. It was a really, really <laughs> weird oh, dynamic. <laughs> it's messed <laughs> up. Uh, so yeah, we, we get into the <laughs> tournament and it's one of those where, you know, the, the, the brackets and the deck just seem stacked against the baby faces. Um so you've got things like um the the, the rock gets put in there with a, a replacement opponent who is boss man, um and he comes down wields his nightstick and rock beats him in five seconds and things like that. Yeah. And you're just like, Okay, this it, I think I started becoming aware of watching it this is maybe Rock's tournament rather than Austin's tournament. Um, and it's just the way it was all stacking up for him. But they had Mankind going in against folk like Gilberg, you know, and he was getting easy squash matches because they were just stacking the draw in his favour to, to try and help him win. Mm-hmm. Rock has to beat the likes of Shamrock, who is you know, also aligned with the, the corporation. Um, Mankind's beating Al Snow. Um, Rock has to beat Undertaker. Um, the, he, he does uh, manage to shunt Austin out of the picture, gets him out of the tournament. I think it's like a double D 
DQ or double count out or something like that. So somebody else takes the hit basically to get Austin out of it, which leaves Rock as the the, the remaining big baby face that's in it. Um, and so you get to the final match, and this is one year after the Montreal screw job. So the previous series had seen, you know, the infamous ring the bell uh, when the sharpshooter's on. So Mankind is basically working the match as a heel. He's um, taking shortcuts. He's trying everything to win the title because that's what Vince wants. Um, and the the Rock manages at a point to apply the sharpshooter when Vince and Shane are at ringside trying to help out Mankind any way they can. And then it just all becomes clear over a few seconds what's going on because as soon as the sharpshooter's on, McMahon recreates his ring the bell, ring the bell, gets in the ring, raises Rock's hand, hands in the title, and you kind of... There's just this... uh, I, I thought it was awesome because I, I felt like the the rock maybe worked better in the heel role. Um, I thought you you got you got more value, especially mm. when you have Austin there anyway. Um, but there was also like this. I remember feeling really bad for mankind, and you know, I'm, I'm watching it thinking, I I know this isn't real. You know, I, I I know this guy, you know, is still getting his paycheck and all that. But I'm sat there thinking, ah. Oh, <laughs> How harsh is that? It's brutal on this guy. Because he had no he had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And then, you know, he's just looking on, bemused by everything. Um, but I just I, I loved the tournament feel and then the, the ending, just when it felt like they were starting to elevate Rock to that top babyface slot to have him turn. Uh, and I just really enjoyed it. But it's as it's as much because I loved that particular pay-per-view and the way it all unfolded. Um, but what it gave, which was really important, McMahon-Austin was the big feud. Mc, McMahon proved mm-hmm. enough times he, he can't get in the ring and work the match. You know, or he did once or twice, but he shouldn't. Um, but he, he, should, he should never, ever, ever, he, ever have taken a no. bump off the cage. It's the Valentine's Day massacre. No, definitely. <laughs> One of the this bumps. Ever, uh, yeah. uh, what uh, it gave was now that Rock's aligned with Vince. Basically, Vince has a guy, a top star, who can oppose uh, Austin in the ring and basically do his dirty work for him. Um, and that led to you know I think is it three or two WrestleMania main events in three years or something like that between the two. Um, over the the title because they were the top tier guys, and it just worked worked better when one's yeah. heel and one's babyface. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Okay, two questions for you then. Um, first, was that a double turn? The mankind turn face, or did it, it turn yeah, face by so default? I, it wasn't at the time. Uh, I, I don't think the feeling I had, which was just of sympathy. I don't think that carried into the main, you know, audience who probably would have struggled back then to to buy him as the babyface because there was a lot of work the company actually did on him eventually, where they did things like there was a, a sit down interview with JR that was filmed in segments and he ends up like, you know, talking about 
how JR keeps saying on commentary, he doesn't feel pain, he doesn't feel pain, he's screaming, I feel pain, you know, and things like that. I think that's what got him over in a more human way um, to, to the audience. Mm. Um, and then I think when he started doing things like flying off cages, that's, when, you know, it, and the thing is, <laughs> he was actually a really good worker because if you look at people like Triple H and even people like Michaels, some of their better matches are against him. And it's because he gives so much to the, to yeah. the opponent. And he actually, I think, yeah. just to use Triple H as an example, I think people still thought of him as a bit soft until he did hardcore matches with Foley. And then you're like, well, he can't be soft, you know. Mm-hmm. That's um, So I, th- I think that's the kind of thing that we got him over. I think at the time he was a little bit caught in what was happening with Rock and Austin. So he was a little bit marginalised from that. But see, I, I felt it. You know, I felt, oh, what a shame for that guy. Mm-hmm. And um, Rock, better face heel or heel? Me, um, I think especially, th- there's an arrogance about him. And I think you're always going to have a level of the audience that uh, that cling to that and enjoy that. But I think he could do more as a heel. Like, uh, he's not the, I'm one of you guys, you know, which Austin was. He, so he, 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 you don't look at him and think, oh, that guy's just like me. You know, he, he's, especially after they ended up going away to Hollywood, you know, and then coming back and things like that. But by then he, he perfectly suited heel yeah. for me because he came back with a, I'm too good for this type attitude. Yeah. Arrogance. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I like him much better as a heel as well. I think I think a lot of guys are, are better at heels. Maybe Austin's, um, maybe not one of them, but yeah. Uh, I'm with you. Cool. That was good. I like that. Um, Want me to jump in? Number four for me. Okay. So this one involves The Rock as well. But it's not The Rock doing Johnson. It's The Rock at Owen Hart. Uh, And him turning on his brother, Brett Hitman Hart. So this this is not quite... Um, I would say not quite as good as uh, the path that you laid out with um, with Hogan and Savage, but this was a slimmer, similar slow build, um, and I think just because of the time that it happened as well. So back in November '93, Survivor Series, we had uh, the, the Hart brothers, uh, Owen Brett, and the other two. Keith. I think that's right. Yeah, I think those are the guys. I think, uh, <laughs> um, they were up against uh, Shawn Michaels and his team um, and I think Brett eventually ends up winning the whole match but, but Owen ended up getting counted out and he was not very happy with this at all so when um, Brett's celebrating Owen's pulling them down for the turnbuckles and having a right good go at him um, but I think at this point you're kind of thinking he's just the younger brother sort of thing, he's just playing up sort of thing. So um but after this, Owen Owen kept going at it though. It wasn't just like a kind of one off thing. Um he started wearing Brett's sunglasses, which I always really, really wanted <laughs> to be in the front row of somewhere and put on my face. Um and he started he adopted the sharpshooter as well. Uh he's cut all these, you know, these sit down promos talking about uh, living in Brett's shadow and all that sort of thing. But um, anyway, uh, 
much to um, much to Stu Hart's happiness. They make up for the holidays. Um, they make up the Christmas coming, and, and all is good. Heading into the Royal Rumble, where they're going to take on the Quebecers for the tag team titles. Uh, unfortunately for the Hart brothers, uh, Brett ends up injuring his knee, and they have to. The referee calls the match. Uh, Owen's not happy about this. He starts tearing into Brett again, and he uh, turns on him, kicks his knee, um, and this is him full heel. Uh, Owen is fed up being in Brett's shadow. He's uh, he constantly challenging him to a match, and, and, and Brett keeps saying he will never, ever fight his brother. Um, alas, after this, it uh, leads up to, to WrestleMania 10, Madison Square Gardens, where they have an absolute ripper of a, a technical master class. Uh, Probably, I, I don't know if it's underrated or not, but to me, it seems like a really, really underrated WrestleMania match. Um, it's just incredible. And, and like that, that was the match that I was watching before we okay. started recording here. Uh, I, feel, I feel like I could have just watched that all night. Like, compare that to, I don't know, like a, a Roman Reigns or a, a Drew McIntyre who are like yeah. top stars and are good to watch, but compare that to that, it's just night and day. Um, so Owen, Owen beats Brett at WrestleMania 10, but um, having won the Royal Rumble, or being, I think he was co-winner of the Royal Rumble that year, Brett uh, gets to fight for the title at WrestleMania 10 as well, wins it, um, much to Owen's unhappiness. And uh, kind of through the summer, Owen wins King of the Ring. We get the King of, King of Hearts gimmick, um, which, is, which is really yeah. underrated as well, I think. Um, and we, we, that leads us up to SummerSlam 94 with an absolute, another classic match, cage match between Brett and Owen, um, which Brett end, ends up winning. That's for the title, but uh, yeah, I just think a, a really good turn from Owen. Uh, it kind of goes from this kind of like white meat, baby face type to, to like a really angry, spiteful brother. Yeah. I think it's a really good storyline. Um, and he plays the part well. And, and Brett, to me, is just... I know, I know eventually um, Brett turned in a kind of weird way where he was a heel in, yeah. in America and a face in Canada. Um, but to me, Brett is always and always will be the kind of perfect baby face. Um, so I think Owen had a really good partner in that rivalry. I like Sweet. it. Um, that was my this number is four. the first time we're going to have this, so I had that as uh, one of mine. So oh. what what um, what I loved okay. about it, and you kind of touched on it, I always wondered if the match at Mania 10 was a little bit overshadowed by the fact that they also had the ladder match at that event between Razor and Michaels, because... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if people come away only talking about one match and maybe if that ladder one hadn't happened there, yeah. maybe they would have come away talking about the, the Hearts match because it was brilliant. Um, and I, I wonder your thoughts are, do you think they should have at any point put the belt on him, on Owen? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's like hindsight's twenty twenty, but but looking back now, um, when you know everything and having watched I've watched that episode of yeah. Dark Side of the Ring a couple of times now 
he just won it, and yeah. uh, I think he deserved it. And for you know, like him going into the attitude era, era and I'm not really knowing what to do with him. And then you know, like Jericho talked about it on that episode, the guys that that were coming through at the time um, when his untimely death happened. Like you've got guys like Benoit and Jericho and Guerrero and Angle that just had totally yeah. just amazing matches. With. Um, yeah, it would have been. It would. I think they yeah, should have agreed. And I am. Um, I think. I think you're right. After the Angle, and even though you know there were reunions and things like that, and they brought all the hearts together again, I think there was just there was always more to him from that point onwards. You know, he he was no longer. You know, mm. just uh, a, you know, opening match high flyer. You know, with with no real personality about him. Um, that because that was the way it always felt before that. Yeah. Cool. I think uh, I think that I think that King of Hearts gimmick is like he, he's is, is kind of based um, gimmick and, yeah. and character they had. Yeah. Anyway, so what what number did you so did you have that down, that down as your as my two? But what I can do, because I do have okay. notes about one that I moved out, that I shuffled out uh, when I changed my mind, um, so I can bring that <laughs> back in because I've got the notes here. Uh, so okay, okay, number three, right? So number now, three. We've kind of just referenced it. So this is one that I was gonna have in, ended up taking it out. Uh, but I do still look back fondly uh, in terms of memories of it. I'm similar to you. I always thought of Bret Hart as the good guy. You know, the he, he was I don't know intercontinental good guy um, that had the brilliant matches. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember there was a SummerSlam match with Perfect that he had, which was amazing, and it just just seemed like he, he had so many yeah. really good matches. Um, and then he, he moved to the world title picture, and I, I, I think, much as I, I like him as a worker, you know, I thought he was always impressive to watch. I don't know that he had that cutting edge from a, a personality point of view. Um, and it, it just always came across a bit meh a lot of the time. Um, and then I, mm. I, I remember the... Um, he came. He left after he lost to Michaels. So he lost the the belt to Michaels at Mania Twelve, I think it was, um, in the Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. So, so Iron, he, the Iron he, Man. He, yeah, yeah. Michaels had got over as a babyface, so it was kind of babyface against babyface, which is unusual. And then Hart was taking a break anyway. He was waiting to do a TV show, and he. Oh God! Yeah, what was that TV? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So he goes away and then he, he comes back and he's he's kind of got a little bit more of an obnoxious personality and what had happened while he was away was something that I think most you know wrestling fans of any length of time will remember as the, the King of the Ring where Austin won so he wins it he gives his promo, his Austin 316, all that. Yeah. And, you know, within weeks, he's one of the hottest acts in the company. He's, you know, people are holding signs with his slogans on it and things like that. Um, but while that's all happening, 
he's actually calling out Bret Hart on TV. So he, you know, goes in the ring when Hart isn't there. You know, everyone knows he's not there, and he's basically saying, Bret Hart won't come back because he's scared to face me. Um, so cause, because Austin's still acting heelish, even though he's massively over, he's saying things like that. So Bret Hart ends up coming back. I think it was eight months he was away. So he, he comes back just in time for a Survivor Series, um, which is November 96. And they have a pretty good match, Hart and Austin. Um, and it's for the, the number one contendership for the, the world title. So Hart wins. So he's back in the number one contender pretty quickly. But he, he actually fails to take the title off Sid. So he's number one contender, but he, he loses. And that's due to a, a mistake by Michaels, who is ringside and swings a chair. Aiming for Sid, hits Brett. Um, cost Brett the match, so it's kind of you feel like the the story's going away from Austin Hart to Michael's Hart, which which it very often did. But then there's a, a brilliant Royal Rumble match, January '97, where again Austin's still skating the, the sort of fine line between cool heel and full on babyface, um, and Hart eliminates him from the Rumble, but none of the refs actually see it, and Austin. Yeah. Slides back in the ring, ends up winning it, eliminating Hart last. So, you know. is is that the sorry? Is that the rumble where Austin is putting people out and then sitting on the top of the ropes and giving it his classic head? Uh, I think that might be the year later. Is that that rumble? Because uh, I think he wins two in a row. Um, that the next? But I'd need to look, look at the matches to remind myself. It could be. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it's one where he wins it. Um, but yeah, I'm sure he wins two in a row. Um, so yeah, the, the Bret Hart next night uh, again, still in January '97, basically comes out on Raw and says, you know, if if this is going to stand, if a uh, Rumble defeat where you know a guy who'd been eliminated by him actually wins it is going to stand, then he quits. Um, so they, they come up with a, a plan to try and keep Hart happy and try and right the wrongs. And I think this is maybe, it's maybe still in this sort of Jack Tunney, you know, this pr- president era who announces things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like, you know, once every couple of years to announce something. Um, so he announces something called the Final Four for an In Your House in February 97, which is supposed to be to decide on the new number one contender since... Austin's rumble win was so dubious um, so it's basically they decide who gets the, the media title match uh, against Michaels um, however Michaels around this point does his lost his smile um, relinquishes his title and disappears okay. so they actually end up making the final four match for the title um, rather than for a shot at it so a final four Hart wins it um, and Austin, he can't really cope with this. He's he's built up this hatred of Hart that you know Hart's cost him by you know challenging everything that happened in the Rumble, even though he cheated. Um, and he's just got this bee in his bonnet about Hart, and he won't let it go. And he's challenging him all over the place. And then uh, Austin ends up costing Hart the world title belt um, on a, a Raw against Sid, so Sid regains the, the world title because of Austin's interference in the match. Um, and then 
you've got the situation where they end up pivoting to go to Sid V Undertaker um, at the WrestleMania as the main event um, for the title. But with the animosity still there between Austin and Hart, it's decided that they should have a, a Mania 13 match, which should be a submission match. Um, the apparently, well, yeah. I've heard plenty suggest Austin wasn't that happy about that because he never really thought of himself as a submission wrestler, and he was thinking, you know, how do how do we make this work? Um, but what ends up happening in the match? They've got the yeah. nice sort of twist is they've got uh, Ken Shamrock appearing first time, and he's the special guest ref, and that's. It's supposed to be, I'm assuming he's already signed with them. He just hadn't started appearing as a competitor yet. But it's basically this guy being known as an mm. MMA fighter. And, you know, if there's anything that needs broken up in the ring, he'll be able to do it. You know, he can cope with this situation, this hatred and animosity. Um, they end up having a brilliant match, uh, Austin and Bret Hart. And really subtly, if you watch through it, Hart starts taking shortcuts and he's already been coming across as quite whiny, you know, um, not the way a baby face would normally be when he's talking about being screwed out of things and mm-hmm. um, losing his title shots and losing his belt and things like that. And he's actually had by then a confrontation with McMahon, almost giving away with a few comments that McMahon's the owner as well as just being this guy sitting ringside on the commentary set which hadn't really been referenced at any mm. point beforehand. So um, they have their brilliant match. And Hart's yeah. little, you know, he does the um, figure four round the leg, the ring post and things like Just things that maybe your your baby face version wouldn't do because they would want it to be clean and in the ring. And yeah. Austin by, you know, he's a lot of his style's brawling, but there's this finish where... He's a heart got Austin the sharpshooter and Austin won't quit and the commentators are selling it. They're saying, you know, he, he, he won't quit, he won't tap, he won't say I quit. And what, what ends up happening as a result is the crowd are now sympathetic to Austin because he's given absolutely everything that he's got and he just won't give up. And Hart, who even by the time that uh, Shamrock's called it off saying it's done Austin's non-responsive he's covered in blood they get this brilliant picture of him screaming and all the blood's flowing down his face um, and uh, he ends up passing out and he won't break the hold and Shamrock has to basically drag him off and Hart not breaking the hold and then there's this little subtle moment where Shamrock confronts Hart and he backs down and it's a little bit heelish, you know. Um, and mm. from that point onwards, you touched on it before. In USA, the crowd are fully behind Austin. They they are, you know, he's very much established as top, top line babyface. Um, a guy who even though he'd been seen to pass out in the ring, wouldn't accept help to walk back and all that, wanted to walk back on his own two feet against the guy who took the shortcuts, wouldn't break the hold, flinched when, you know, the uh, MMA fighter got in his face and things like that. So Hart becomes a heel in uh, America, but remains a babyface, I think, pretty much everywhere else. You know, they mentioned Canada, but the the promos he starts delivering are actually Mm. anti-America, which is more of a, you know, 
a lot yeah. of people who aren't American or anti-American. It doesn't really matter what country you're in. And I think in a lot of Europe, he was still very popular part. Um, and, you know, you've got the combination with Bulldog, which ends up doing that as well. But I think it's the best executed double turn that I've ever seen. And it's just all the... Because going into the match, yeah. I think that, you know, a lot of the crowd had worm tossed already, but Bret Hart was universally loved. And it's just all these little nuances. Mm-hmm. And I think Hart, for me, it did work in a stable, him being a heel. I don't think him being a heel on his own would have really worked. But once he'd reformed the Hart Foundation and he had his family around him, I think that kind of did work. Um, but it led to, you know, loads of great matches. And there's an event called Canadian Stampede, I think it is, where there's basically the, the Canadian team yeah. of all the hearts up against the uh, American team. And it's it's in Canada, it's in Calgary, I think, and the the atmosphere is unbelievable. It's like the the most electric atmosphere you would find for a match. So that's kind of the one I'll plug in uh, as the the replacement for um for what happened with Owen, um because that that was one of my favourites as well. Brilliant. I I don't know if if you've ever heard you probably had I, I can't put my finger on as maybe the um, broken skull sessions but I've I've heard various different places both Austin and Hart talking about each other um, and the way that they talk about each other they've just yeah. put s- such a high level of respect for each other uh, and it's quite rare to hear wrestlers talking about other wrestlers like that um, and it's really nice and you know like they, they obviously enjoyed working together uh, and like it's very unlike WWE to do or or to be able to execute such a subtle yeah um, turning character. Uh, that's cracking. I, I debated I debated that one for a while. Um, that's a good one. I like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm on number. Th- so that was your number three. So I'll jump on the man number three, which I think you will probably. Yep. Um, have on your list at some place as well. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna awesome. go to the barber shop, Adam. Um, we need to, we need to get together. We've been having too many differences. Let's talk them out. Alternatively, <laughs> I may just stick your head through a window. Um. So we've got the Rockers. Uh, we've got Marty Janetti, Shawn Michaels. Um. What what would you say like a, an exciting yeah, young yeah, think, tag team? The, the big phrase um, I remember hearing constantly from I think it would be Gorilla Monsoon was tag team specialists, and it it, it always seemed like they you couldn't like imagine that. them not being not teaming together. Um, yeah. like they were they were kind of styled the same, their, their hair yeah. the same, all that sort of stuff. They were like a proper tag team. When you think of a tag team. Uh, I think I really like yeah. that. I like when a tag team's a tag team, if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, they were like this classic young, cool looking tag team. But anyway, they they had their differences. Marty Jannetty offers to let Shawn Michaels walk away. Uh, Shawn says no, and um, well, he didn't mean no, really, did he? Yeah. Hits him with the most beautiful super kick you've ever seen, um, and Janetti's Janetti's selling off 
throwing himself <laughs> at Bobby Heenan says he tried to dive through the window and back to cover this. Just perfectly through the window. And um, Sean pulls out, I don't know if it's a magazine or just a picture, yeah. but he pulls out a picture and tears it just perfectly down the middle just to, just to set it off beautifully. And uh, yeah, yeah, we know what happens for there. Sean Michaels goes on yep, a WWE Hall of Famer, doesn't he? Grand Slam winner, is that what they call it? When somebody's won every belt and the rumble and, you know, basically everything there is to win. Uh, yep. Yep, still never. Okay. I, I, think, I think, you know, you, um, just what you were talking about with Hogan, so what age would yep. I have been then? 10. This was January 92. I'd have been 9. Like, I, I can remember this. I can remember, I don't know how I watched this. This, this happened on a Raw, I think. Um, I can remember watching it and being, like, so shocked, like, stunned. What? Uh, like, that's a pretty uh, yeah. a violent act, kicking someone through a window. Yeah, that... But, um, that was... Yeah. So I... I'm saying he kicked. Yeah, I'm saying he kicked right. him through a window. He kicked him, then he threw him through the window. Yeah, uh, that that was um, that was going to be yeah. my number two. Um, and I just like so much what you talked about, the fact that Ginetti offers him an out, and that and that's not enough. You know, he he can't, he, he doesn't mm. want to just walk away. He actually wants to do this. You know, he he, he wants to break them up in this. You know. <laughs> This way where there's no going back, and that is so brutal, and and the fact that I, I remember, yeah. I think the first time I saw it, it's maybe on the build up to a, a a rumble or something like that, and again they show you some of the backstory and things like that. And when I saw it, I thought, what you know, and uh, when they're in the process of looking like they've reconciled, I think Heenan says something like. You see, one with the other is no good, you know. And then as soon as the kick hits, Keenan goes, oh, I knew he was going to do that. <laughs> and it's, it, there's, there's, something, there's so many brilliant, you know, Keenan moments that we could do our own discussion about, but he, he adds kind of weight to these kind of things. And as soon as as soon as soon he's on somebody's side, oh, it makes him feel like a proper heel. Um, and yeah, the the actual yeah. visual of them going through the the, the glass from the the barber shop again, like like you mentioned, that you just didn't, didn't see things like that. It it was so unusual, and these were, I think at the time I couldn't imagine either of them being like you know the 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 world title holder or anything like that. They were they, they were two guys that seemed like they needed each other to have any mm. success. Um. So yeah, it just seemed brutal. Brilliant though. <laughs> yeah. And just a hit, and, and on that point, like that was probably a, yeah. you know what you were saying about Christian, like a kind of European level um type mm-hmm. guy doing that bit. It felt like it really mattered. And 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 also it was kind of like um a flick of a switch with Shawn Michaels and then he just looked yeah. like this smug Arrogant heel. Yeah, I, I loved it. And again, the sensational cherry as well. And he started doing the, the heartbreak kid with the horrible obnoxious entrance music and stuff like that. And it, it just all, it just all worked. And you know, <laughs> you, 
you look forward to, or you look back at the sort of difference where where their careers went, and I, I think I mentioned to you before. Apparently, Jeanette has been hired and fired more times than anyone else in mm. the history, um, which is quite a, an achievement. But you kind of you, you look back feeling bad because obviously. <laughs> even if they thought, oh, Gennetti can make it to this level or we put him in another tag team or something like that. But they obviously always had bigger plans for Michaels. Not, I don't think they had world title plans for him, but I think they always thought that's the guy that can make it on his own. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure, you know, people do refer yeah. to, oh, he's the Shawn Michaels of the team. Now, even now, you know, and that, that means that's the guy that can make it, which means yeah. the other guy can't. Yeah, so it's almost like the the rockers set that blueprint for. So who's going to turn on who, and yeah. who's going to be this? Who's like you say? Who's going to be a Shawn Michaels? Like I think people, uh, as soon as you saw the Hardys, you start yeah. thinking is Jeff Hardy's Jeff Hardy's the Shawn Michaels. I don't know. If, I don't know if it ever really worked out that way. I don't think it did. But um, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's like they've kind of set the blueprint. Right, I think your number one is my number two. By the sounds of it. Um, so do you want to do you want to talk uh, through your number now. one? Yeah. Have you, so have you done my yeah. my top pick? Um, is the the sort of infamous third man angle from WCW? Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's Hogan, obviously, yeah. ultimate babyface had never actually officially turned heel since re-entering WWF when when McMahon had bought out his dad. He was the golden boy, you know. The he was exactly what McMahon wanted his champion to look like, which was you know big, muscular, heroic. And he ends up moving to WCW, and he's he's basically the same character, you know. He's there's not a lot, excuse me, not a lot changed. He's um, becomes world champion. He's getting a lot of crowd adulation. They were aware enough. I've watched a few programs where the, the crowd reactions apparently started to wane a little bit uh, in his WCW days. Um, sort of ninety five, ninety six. It's not he's not getting booed by any means, but you know, he's not necessarily getting the biggest pop of anyone that comes out. Um, there's guys like Sting, you know. There's been guys like Flair who were maybe getting bigger crowd reactions, um, and I think it's that sort of you get a little bit of oversaturation at times. Um, I think that's definitely happened. You know, modern day mm-hmm. with, with guys like Cena, for example, who he almost needs to go away to be appreciated and then he comes back and people remember you know all the reasons why they liked him in the first place um so a big big sort of moment really comes in may 96 when uh holland nash uh wrestling as uh, diesel and razor ramon uh have their contract well, finish their contracts in wwe they give their notice and they sign with wcw for Apparently, more money, less dates, everything that, that uh, a worker would want in those days. Um, WWE is the bigger product at the time. There's no real doubt about that. It's um, It's got more eyeballs on it. WCW, I think, has always been thought of as this you know, regional promotion. 
Um, but now that Eric Bischoff is kind of in charge, he's not writing the checks, but he's in charge on the WCW side. He's trying to compete. He he wants to actually you know become the big show, and he's launched Monday Nitro um, to co- compete directly with Monday Night Raw. Um, at the time, he's not winning the ratings war, but he's got Ted Turner's money to spend uh, and a show on his network to steal some extra time when it's needed and things like that. So he's got a lot working for him. But because they're basically an organisation that's run by a TV company, the Monday night shows, they're a big deal. you know. And I think WWE, WWF at the time, are more still centred around you know pay-per-views and things like that. And I think doing selling out all their live shows was, was a big money-making thing for them. But um, yeah, Turner's mm-hmm. company, WCW, once he'd bought them out and sort of re- recreated them, they were really focused on TV ratings and things like that. So he'd basically given uh, Bischoff a, a blank check, you know, sign who you need to compete. Um, and let's try and you know win. Let's try and get more ratings than WWE can get. So Hall and Nash have come across as as big stars. Um, Nash has been champion several times. Um, Hall was always that kind of intercontinental level guy, but you know he would be on every show and yeah, pretty good, pretty good with promos. Very good worker. Um, yeah. Can I? I feel like. A big, I feel like to a young person like we were, uh, yeah. like a kind of young teen impressionable, he was a big star. It always surprises me he never held the belt, but then when you think back, he was that intercontinental Mr. Perfect. Yeah, he was. And I think, kind of, you know, a lot of le- that kind of level, was it? about they, they, they would trust him to have the good match and, and when it needed to be done to put, you know, a superstar over. Um, and I, th- I think he... Mm-hmm. You know, no doubt he could have performed at that top, top level. And I remember he had matches for it. I think he wrestled Brett uh, Hart for, for, the, for the belt. Um, and he, he just never quite went up that extra rung. But, you know, they came in as big names. And one of the, you know, be able to uh, find it on many a, a video on the WWE Network, but him walking out, you know, through the crowd, jumping the barrier, walking into the ring during what was essentially a jobber match, on a nitro and stand in the ring and saying, you know, mm. you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here to the crowd. And that acknowledgement that of course they know who he is because WWE is the bigger product. So people who are, people who are watching nitro in all likelihood are yeah. also watching raw. Um, and they, they, so they know who this guy is. They've actually both, been in WCW previously, you know, um, didn't really work out brilliantly for either of them, but they'd been there. Um, but they really became stars in WWE. He teases that he's got somebody else that's going to be coming out and joining him, and they're doing this whole story, which kind of had to get shut down for legal reasons, where they're they're implying that he still works for WWE and he's turning up on these shows when he, he kind of shouldn't be. Um, mm. And he's challenging and threatening an invasion. Um, I think that WWE shut that down in the courts quite quickly because they they argued that you know he's not their employee, but they're not making that clear. And also the way he was speaking, which wasn't his normal voice, was basically the exact way he spoke in his character in WWE, which WWE still owned. Um, which they, you know made a massive misstep by re- recasting these characters but we won't talk about that just now um, 
So yeah, that, that two mm. weeks after that, um, <laughs> Kevin Nash appears during this interview that Bischoff's doing with Scott Hall. Uh, basically, Bischoff's challenging Scott Hall. You know, saying you, you said there was another guy. Who is it? Who is it? Nash appears behind him, and he's a tall guy. You know, Kevin Nash. He's he's. I don't know exactly how tall, but he's very tall. So th- there's this visual of Bischoff turning round to see this mountain of a man behind him, and then he then delivers <laughs> a similar style of promo about you know how they're there to take over, um, and they're. You know, if this is where the big boys play, you know, we're 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 not here to play. Um, the there's quite mm. a few, there's a few weeks of them then requesting matches against the best WCW have got to offer, um, and then it ends up a situation where WCW basically pick out three guys that they want to have a match against Hall and Nash. And that's when they understand that Holland Nash say that they've got a third guy. They've got a third guy that's going to be coming in. Nobody knows who it is. There's a lot of speculation. There was actually a lot of speculation at the time about Bret Hart going in because he'd been in contract negotiations with WWE. Um, he ends up, I think that's where he maybe signs the 10-year WWE deal that in the end Vince can't afford and kind of asks him to tear up when he, when he leaves yeah. uh, in the end. But, you know, there, there's rumours about Bret there's a few rumours about other insiders from WCW but not that many that make sense for me I think Sting was mentioned but he doesn't have a WWE background so why you know just trying to put it together why he would be the third guy but they, yeah. um, they, they agree the match at Bash at the Beach but Hall and Nash are not talking about who the third man is um, they're up against uh, Sting, Savage and Luger um, so you kind of look at it thinking if I didn't know better because I didn't see it at the time, but you know, after the event, you're maybe looking thinking, well, it could be Savage. You know, he he came from WWE, he's in the match, so it could be him. Um, Luger, he's been in WWE for a wee bit. Could it be him? It could be Sting just because there'd been noise around it being Sting. So there was always the threat that it was one of the guys in the ring that were opposing them that was going to turn and create a you know three on two advantage. In the end they start the match as a, a two-on-three. So WCW have got the advantage, which I think just made even more people watching it think it's going to be one of those guys because why else would, you know, the, the third man not be out from the start? He's putting his team at a disadvantage. So in the match, Hall and Nash are actually handling the the three stars from WCW pretty easily. They, you know, they're, they're not really um, looking at defeat despite the, the handicap. Um, at, they take a couple of different points of taking out one man to make it two on two um, and then just when they're kind of asserting their dominance uh, and looking like they're about to properly go on and win the match the, the Hogan appears on the ramp and walks down and I think there's a comment by Bobby Heenan which he he apparently didn't didn't know you know and the uh-huh. The announced team didn't know who the third man was going to be. They were only the actual man and, I believe, uh, Nash and Hall and Bischoff that, that knew who it was. Um, and Hogan goes in the ring, ready to save WCW, drops the leg on his old pal, Macho Man, um, and that's it. He he is the third man. He has joined the NWO, as they're christened at the end of the match. 
And I think just the fact that it was him and he was always the hero and you just wouldn't have seen it coming. And um, there's a promo he delivers at the end of it where, you know, the, the, the ring is being filled up with uh, trash being thrown by the crowd. And you never would have imagined Hogan standing there in the ring with people throwing trash in at him. And he just delivers this mm. promo about, you know, how the trash that's in the ring represents all these fans and things like that. And it's it's like you've never heard him before. So it just yeah, it, it just would never speak like that. And then when you look back at the fact that the two guys had been controlling the three biggest, well, three of the biggest WCW stars, there's now three and one of them's Hogan. So who can actually compete with that group? Um, and it, it ended up being one of like the hottest TV runs that there's ever been. You know, I, I think for for a good year before they oversaturated it and put too many guys in and things like that and ended up having different segments to it and things like that. But for that little period mm. of time, they had this like untouchable group and were absolutely cruising in the ratings war. I think largely because of that group who were the epitome of a cool heel. They were, um, the crowd loved them, but re- almost regardless of what they actually did. Um, so yeah, that... I think for me, I, I have a memory of my yeah. cousin who watched at the time all the TVs weekly on both sides. So he was watching Raw and Nitro. And he told me, he was a few years older than me, he told me that Hogan was now a bad guy. And I, I just, I was not, I just absolutely refused to believe it. Um, and that, <laughs> I assume, would be how most people would have reacted at the time. They just wouldn't have believed it. So yeah, that, that is my, my number one. Mm. I love it. There's a few things. So you mentioned uh, Bobby Heenan's comment. So listen, I, I think we both absolutely love Heenan. He's just he's just an absolute legend. Yeah. But that's one of the things that, that stops me putting this number one. Um, but whose side is he on? It's it's just that I like, I like I get it because it fits his character mm-hmm. because he's the heel commentator. He doesn't want to trust the baby face. Um, yeah, but the fact he, that he, he says that you could kind of like I, make you go what Shivani's podcast um, with with Conrad Thompson, and he was the um, producer within the the commentary within the announcer group. So, and he he swears ah, that nobody okay. in that group knew. Um, and it is a shame because he does preempt it. it. It just, I, I don't think he actually believed it when he said it. I don't think he thought that that was what was going to happen. But it does, yeah, I get you. It takes away from <laughs> it a little bit. That probo that you mentioned that Hogan cuts is amazing. Like, yeah, Hogan's got his faults, um, yeah. many of them, but that. Like you said, that promo was just like scorching. It's amazing. And do you yeah. know what, what else I love it, about it? Really it was how annoyed Mean Gene is at him. Yeah, and it, it, it comes He's to obviously so interviewed him so many times <laughs> over the years. And they always had this dynamic, this sort of back and forth banter. And yeah, he just seems so betrayed and angry. And he's just this, you know, wee guy holding a microphone. It, it's, it's, pretty, yeah. it's pretty good. 
Um, and, and just one last thing on that. There's a guy in the front row, I don't know if you noticed this, there's a guy in the front row where everybody else is booing the house down, throwing stuff in the ring. There's this <laughs> guy with an ECW t-shirt on and he is having the time of his life. Brilliant. He's like clapping non-stop uh, whilst Hogan's cutting this promo. <laughs> okay. Okay. So... I'm interested yep. to, to find out if this is going to be in your honourable mentions, but this is my my number one. I think it's I think it's it's a lot of things. Um, it's at the time probably my peak watching. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with a quote from it. It's not did we, but how many times did we consummate the marriage? <laughs> So, 29th November, 1999, we're, uh, we're all set up for the marriage between Andrew Martin, a.k.a. Test, and Stephanie McMahon. Um, it seems like a wonderful affair. All the McMahons are all dressed up. And then uh, Triple H crashes it. And uh, we get the video on the Titan drawn of uh, Triple H pulling up at the Little White Chapel with Stephanie in tow. He does an absolute classic um, kind of comedy move with mouth in her vows for her in a silly voice. It's amazing. I was actually like watching this back as surprised at yeah. how charismatic Triple H, Triple H was. I don't even know if he's supposed to be a heel or a face at this point, but it's hilarious. Um, yeah. And you, you've got Stephanie mm-hmm. in the ring crying her eyes out saying, I hate you and, and all that sort of thing. Which, like, Stephanie these days and probably um, like around about ruthless aggression here and all that is completely over the top sort of character. But at that point, she was kind of like that young, kind of just new on TV, fresh-faced character. Um, I thought she played it uh, really, really well. So this after Triple H doing, we, we, we get this kind of personal, um, like a kind of Austin McMahon light uh, sort of rivalry between Vince and Triple H um, and Shane, I think, as well. Um, we get Vince screwing Triple H at the title, uh, at the title match at Survivor Series with a big show on the rock, um, which leads us to Armageddon, 1999. Probably one of the, the longest matches in, yeah. wrestling, in wrestling history or, or, or matches that went on for far too long. We've got a, a no-holds-barred match between uh, Vince and Triple H. Um, they're in and out of the crowd. Yeah, it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's certainly no uh, Owen versus Brett, that's for sure. Um, but we, we get to the end. We've got Vince with a sledgehammer. We've got Stephanie sitting front row of the crowd. She says, I want to do it, I want to do it comes in the ring and uh, she looks like she's going to hit Vince, she can't do it, Triple H takes it off her uh, takes it off her and like we are talking about head trauma earlier uh, like I don't know if this is just amazing selling but he looks like he takes Vince's head off of the thing, it's ridiculous um, anyway afterwards we get the we get the, the turn Stephanie smiles that kind of smile at Triple H and have this kind of awkward cuddle. <laughs> um, but 
I think I, I think I picked like, I picked this number one for that segment on Raw. Triple H's correct charisma levels, like I said, are off the charts. And also, although to some people's mind, Triple H's um, reign of terror isn't wasn't the greatest thing to be watching every single week, but I love the kind of McMahon Helmsley era. Um, I think it probably defines the longest period of time I had watching wrestling. Uh, and yeah, I think uh, um, I love Triple H. There was a, an interesting thing happened. I was still watching at this time, um, probably maybe 94 to about 2001 or 2002. I think I was watching constantly. Um, and I, I remember all this happening. What I was trying to think of, so this must have just been post-DX, was it? Or post... It must have... Because I don't think he was ever with Stephanie on in the DX environment. Um, yeah. So, right. So WrestleMania fifteen, he turned on DX. He joined a version of the corporation, and they had that amazing, <laughs> awful music they had for about five minutes. Um, I think that must be before then. Right. And then I think that um, must be that same year, early in the year. So, it with, yeah, post- one of my friends who, who wasn't really a wrestling fan, it was one of those um, like a, a Sunday morning repeat thing or something like that and I just had it on and my pals waking himself up and getting ready to, to go home. And he, he didn't actually believe that that was the daughter of the owner. You know, that was the real-life family that were playing this out in the ring. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, really, that's the owner. That's his daughter. That's his son. <laughs> and it, but at the time, I don't think Triple H and Stephanie were a real couple when they first started on TV together. I think that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was trying to convince him. No, no this is, no. yeah, these are, these are the actual people. And it was like... Wow, that's just messed up. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> you should probably never let that friend know about some of the storylines of Vince your evidence. Yeah, definitely, let's think about that there. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't one I thought of actually. Um, I, I remember it well, and I remember being quite shocked when when she turned um, because. Again, I suppose in hindsight, you maybe would see it coming, but at the time, I, I don't think I thought she was going to be a you know a regular character, and she came across as so like innocent, you know. And I thought she's just been here mm-hmm. for one storyline, and then they'll they'll move on. But obviously, she's mm-hmm. been a, a feature for well almost ever since. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's recap, shall we? So at five, yes. you had yep. you had the mega powers colliding, didn't you? Yep. And I had Chris, Christian Edge, the one man concerto. Yes. Um, at four, yep. you it. had who? The Rock running heel. Deadly game. And I had Own Heart uh, turning on Brett. Um, three. Yep. You you had Austin and Brett double turn. 
and I had Mark Gennetti getting di- diving in an act of cowardice yeah. through the barbershop window. That was your two, and uh, and Hogan joining the NWO <laughs> or the New World Organization of Wrestling Brother, as he, as he said in his promo. <laughs> so I had yeah, was good. Like that. What, what, what did you have I, in your honourable mentions putting in that was in my honourable mentions because I had one of yours in, in my actual lineup as well um, was uh, Rollin, Rollins turning on the shield um, and it was I, I, I was kind of back watching quite regularly at the point but it wasn't so much about the fact that someone broke them up and aligned with Triple H and you know turned heel. It was more about the guy that that they chose, because I don't know why, but in my mind he seemed the least likely. And there's that moment where they're they're in the ring and they've just had this brilliant series of matches with whoever Triple H could pull together. I remember one with Orton and Batista, um, and uh, up against the Shield. And you know it was pretty obvious to me that all the Shield guys were going to end up becoming you know individual stars. But I, I, I thought, well, you know, Reigns is being lined up to be the yeah. guy. And they've gone that way, but I think I just assumed they would do it immediately. But then it was Rollins that turned. And when he hits Reigns uh, on his back with the chair, when they're standing in the ring being confronted by Triple H, etc., I, I just, I, I was really taken by surprise. Because I just mm-hmm. thought, oh, he's the guy. Okay, you know, and it, it you know, it, it worked because it, I think it got, it kind of immediately established Rollins as a top guy as well, um, and I, th- I think he maybe it maybe did fit yeah. because at the time he was maybe more ready to be a heel than than the likes of Rollins uh, Reigns, sorry, was, um, although it's working now. Um, I think timing-wise, it was probably the right move, but I think it, it really did take me by surprise at the time. Um, and I remember, you know, he, he kind of goes through this thing. I, I was thinking if they'd broken them up too soon, and they probably did get it right, actually. They'd probably done everything they could as a group. Um, but, yeah, that, that was one of my honourable mentions. Um, I'd, I'm just looking at my notes because I definitely had another. Do you know what I like about that? That 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 harks back to mm-hmm. what you said at the start there about lining yourself up with something at the end of it, and and Seth, yeah, Seth went on to become like a really good, arrogant, yeah. cowardly, cackling heel with his head shaking, and uh, I, that, that I probably found my other one. Um, only had two that him up the ladder any, any, a little bit. Anything about really. Um, and the other one was Vince Screws Brett. Um, and not so much the action of what happened on the night of the screw job, um, but more the aftermath. So, like, mm-hmm. he, he does the sit down interview with JR, and he basically puts all the blame on Brett and comes up with the famous Brett Screwed Brett line, you know. And from there, you know, the, the the Mr. McMahon character that ended up face-to-face with Austin for all that time, it, it, it may never have quite got there if it wasn't for something like that. Um, so I do think that that was an important one. 
but I, the more I looked at it and more I thought about yeah. it, I, I, I like the heel turn where, you know, you've got an established baby face that turns heel, whereas I was thinking, McMahon, you know, he's, he's just viewed as a commentator. Um, so I, I was struggling to say it was really a heel turn from that yeah. um, because it's hard to say what he was in the first instance, really. You know, on, on paper, Vince, the owner of the company who was this commentator, uh-huh. um, feuding with your top babyface, shouldn't work. Yeah. Like, it's the hottest storyline probably, arguably ever. Um, it shouldn't work on paper, but... Yeah. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like, you don't have Mr. McMahon without that. And the whole thing of him being... Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, him being on screen and him being so visible and Brett spitting in his face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like he's doing that for a reason you maybe didn't realise that Yeah. at that point. Like that takes you to Deadly Game the next year and him being so prominent and, and all that. Um, the only honourable mention which I had, and this isn't so much to do with the heel turn, but it was more to do with the, the character yeah. that came out the heel turn. Um, was Daniel Bryan and um, he beat AJ Styles after AJ's 371 day reign as champion um, he, he was this pure pure baby face he, uh, and he hits he hits um, uh-huh. AJ Styles with a low blow and you hear the crowd properly like gasping yeah. and that's quite a it's quite an innocent um, kind of reaction to, oh my goodness, maybe just just done that. Um, he hits AJ with a low blow, hits him with his knee, and uh, afterwards he starts yeah. stamping on his, you know, that, yeah. that, um, that face stamp that he does over and over again. He's doing that to him. Um, and from there, it's like they just flipped a switch and, I'm, and off he went, and you had this, um, the new Daniel Bryan character who was essentially telling people the truth about what they were doing to their bodies and the environment, but he was getting like ultra heat for it. He's just an amazing yeah. character. It's a, it's a shame that that didn't go for longer than it did. Yeah. I just think he's one of the guys I, that's amazing as I a think face because and a heel. Even though um, he'd obviously just done this really heelish act, people were still so happy that he was back that they didn't really want to hate him, you know, and it, it but then he just mm-hmm. kept pushing it further and further and further and he was mm-hmm. so believable in it. And I think that, you know, one of the important things for a heel, you, you can't just be spouting nonsense. There has to be at least bits of truth in what you're saying. And, and you know, if that's there, then you're, you know, you're, you're basically mm. left with an audience of saying, yeah, I, I get it, but I hate that guy. You know, it's just uh, I think if it's just nonsense and there's no substance to anything that's being said, it's too easy to dismiss. Nah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, people are people are smarter these days than we were when we were watching Hogan and Macho Man and uh, the Rockers. Like you'd see through a, a silly angle so easily these days that. That somebody like that cutting promos like that, yeah. it sticks out like a sore thumb, and it's just 
it's just really, really good to watch. Mm. And like without that, you don't have Kofi Mania yeah. um, and the mm. kind of high of is that WrestleMania 35 of, of Kofi winning the belt and all that. And, and Brian, Brian needs to take uh, a lot of credit yeah. for kind of carrying that through as well. I think I think was that Elimination Chamber, um, was that a pay-per-view before WrestleMania, maybe a couple before, uh, and I, yeah. Brian and Kofi were, were going at it yeah, for and it, it made a good it 15, 20 minutes at the end of that elimination chamber. It was um, just amazing. Kofi Kingston could go from, you know, career mid-carder to actually winning the world title because without that happening, it, it would have been, you know, out of nowhere, you know, and you, yeah. you, you can't do that. People don't buy it. But just that instance in the in the cell, that, that makes the whole angle realistic. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mean like? Do you mean like just like overnight and jumping in F five and and losing was, the belt? And that was to. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was just um, a desperate <laughs> forget the TV ratings on the first SmackDown on Fox, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, you, that that sums it up, doesn't it? Cool. That was good fun. Amazing. Well, that was excellent. Thank you. Um, do you want to do you want to maybe um, introduce what we are looking into talking about in our next episode? Yeah. So um, yeah, we we talked this through and we were thinking there's obviously yeah. been um, well rumble events for uh, twenty plus years, um, which is quite terrifying. Sorry. It's more than that, isn't it? It's 30 plus years, uh, which is quite terrifying. But um, we're, we're going to focus on the actual Rumble match yeah. uh, rather than the pay-per-view event as a whole. So um, basically, which Rumble match or which t- what were your top five Rumble matches? Because um, I, I think my mind started going into things like, you know, surprise appearances, surprise winner, um and there's there's so many different categories that that I can think of to to try and put things in, but yeah, Royal Rumble matches, um, top five, and I imagine again there might be a, a couple of similarities in there, but there might be less this time actually. The, the... <laughs> yeah, uh, I did uh, go back last I'll year. Tell you, I'll tell you, I'm having a lot of fun researching. It's been a good sure. starting point for me. Amazing. Oh, well, cool. I look forward to that. Well, awesome. that concludes. Um, I knew I already had the middle aged part. How does it feel to be a middle aged outlaw? Cool. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you very much. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, cool. Bye. Until next time, buddy. <laughs>